Welcome to episode 42 of the Civil War Breakfast Club podcast. Joined as always by my co-host Mary, a woman who is clearly tired of my crap today. I'm only Darren. So how are you, Mary? How was your day? So how are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, living the dream. Living the dream. It's a great day. It's a great day to be alive. So how you been? How's, how was your week? How was your, well, it's a couple of days. We're doing this on a Wednesday today, which is very unusual. It is. Very it's unusual. weird. But it may, it breaks the week up because then I'm like, oh, tomorrow's Thursday and then it's Friday. Look at me. I know the days of the week. And, and normally I'd be spared of the Tuesday Mary mood. Little to realize that it just turns out to be the Wednesday Mary mood. So... <laughs> But I guess we'll all have our cross to bear. So anyway, so anyway, so yeah, so I thought we had a good Facebook live the other day. We mm-hmm. had a, a we good did. time. Our, our friends jumping in. We got yeah. some cool stuff coming. We got our book club coming up down the road. We have our round table coming up. We got some cool stuff to talk about today as well. We do. Yes. We've got a few announcements to make before we actually get to the episode. Big but... news today, Mary. We got big news today. Yeah, we do. But before that, what we are we drinking and out of what mug? Oh, well, that's part of the big news. Yes. So why don't you why don't you go first? As we always say, closest to the earth first. Fucker. I am drinking Life in the Clouds uh, from Collective Arts. I could not find a beer tonight that had anything to do with the episode that we were about to do with Vicksburg, even though I looked all over the Lickbo. And you'd think I would have their beers memorized by now, but uh, could not find anything. But anyway, so Life in the Clouds by Collective Arts is what I'm drinking. We both are drinking out of the same mug tonight. It says, Ride with the Winner. Reuniting the United States since 1861. And huge thank you to LaRoe Design. LaRoe Design. LaRoe Design. Who, who, who is who sent us mugs to use for our podcast. Yep. And his stuff is very, very good. You can buy his stuff on Redbubble. Right? I said Redbubble this mm-hmm. time, Mary. And Not so you can too. check that out. No. See, sorry. That's, that's what the kids Holly don't Holly Ridge. Stop. But anyway, so we so if you take a peek at the picture that we posted up, you can see uh, see that I would highly suggest checking this mug out. It is a very very quality mug, and I'm drinking the same thing. And so I, since you didn't ask, I will tell you, I'm drinking. It's called Connect the Dots from New England IPA. From um, who knows where it's from? But in any case, it's called Connect the Dots because that's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight a little yeah. bit about how Grant was it's the second phase of Vicksburg, how he tried to connect the dots, but. Speaking of that, I need to ask you a question. Okay. Have you have you ever made a mistake yeah, in your life? Yeah, all the time. Yeah, all the time. Okay. Have you ever made seven consecutive mistakes? Probably working at the DQ, yeah. I think so. And How do you think I got hey, to be Dar- management? And then, hey, Darren, you want to do a podcast? That'd probably be one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I made but, seven consecutive mistakes at the DQ, and somehow I became manager, which is kind of like, which is kind of like Grant. Kind of like how I grant the more mistakes. So, so we are talking about Vicksburg. Now, last time, well, a couple, it's been a while now. It was around Christmas time. January. I think it was. We talked about the initial phases of the Vicksburg campaign with Ulysses S. Grants. Now, Mary, if you remember, which again, you probably didn't because you probably didn't even listen, nor were you paying attention. I but listened we to our episode about... twice today to refresh my memory. Okay. So again, that's quality time on the government dime in Ontario. So congratulations <laughs> on that. I think it's called a time thief. I think I think Michael Scott called it. But anyway, case, we'll leave that alone. Yeah. So we talked about specifically the initial phase where U.S. Grant was going to attack the city of Vicksburg. And he went through Holly Springs. And we're going to talk about Sherman here in a little bit, talking about Chickasaw. But let's go back real quick. Again, jump in our time machine. Follow Cher's advice, as we always do, and turn back time. I could okay. turn back time. Oh, <laughs> we'll just edit that. But, no, please do. God, you know, <laughs> think of the children. So 
you know, so Vicks, Vicksburg, Mississippi, you know, was a fortress. Now we talked before, this is it. Vicksburg is not just one weekend in July. This is not weekend at weekend at Ulysses here. Okay. This is a long, this is a long campaign that coincides with the end of the Gettysburg campaign. So we're going to, we're going to talk about that phase later. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about the setup. Now we mentioned before the seven mistakes they did, the seven deadly fails of Ulysses S. Grant getting into Vicksburg. I also just pictured Grant passed out drunk, like weekend at Bernie's style with some, with Rollins having like a string tied to his hand so he can wave at everybody from his headquarters. That's probably exactly what he did. (laughs) Hey, General Halleck, how are you? Vicksburg, as I was saying before I was interrupted by Team Canada, was it was a fortress of a city along the Mississippi River that controlled that entire waterway. Now, we're going to we'll go back a little bit, just kind of really quick summarize that episode we talked about before. For the Confederacy, it was a must keep. For the Union, it was a must have. Mm-hmm. It really opened up the entire Mississippi. Both leaders felt this way, too. It wasn't just me, Mary. Jefferson Davis, the head of the Confederacy. His quote was, Vicksburg is a nail that holds the cells two halves together. Mm -hmm. Abraham Lincoln, again, you've probably heard of him. He was a president of the United States at the time. Vicksburg is the key. The the war can never be brought to a close until that key is in our pocket. So both teams know they got to have it. So one has it, one wants to hold it, one wants to get it. So feds on Ulysses S. Grant, they're going to spend the months of this campaign really trying to find a way to flank Vicksburg. Now, we'll talk about the logistics and the terrain and all the stuff we do, but really what the, what, what Grant really was trying to do was to spend the next couple of months trying to get around the right flank of Vicksburg. Now, because of the bend and the river, it was really difficult to sail past it. Now, yeah, because they had before, all the guns but, and stuff on well, there. Right. That... In, 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 an, in an ideal world, okay, he was going to try to use the Navy and take it like Fort Henry. That mm-hmm. was kind of the original plan. It didn't work so much, okay? First real try, I mean, David Farragut had tried May of 1862 to June of 1862 to try to shell the city, and he got pushed back, and he finally said, screw this, and it wasn't going to happen. So that was the end of that. You know, we talked before about in uh, 1862 in June, Grant tried to dig that canal along the DeSoto Peninsula. Yeah. And because what he wanted to do was instead of sailing past Vicksburg, he wanted to cut a path around it, which was kind of a silly concept because the guns could still reach him. Yeah. But he wanted to dig that out and he did this in the summertime. And so mid June to July, these dudes are digging this canal in the Mississippi and swamps with mosquitoes and snakes and clowns. Mm-hmm. All kinds of stuff, but it's a disaster. And so they finally, on July 24th, 1862, they shut it down. They were smart to wait until the fall. So fall 1862, Henry Halleck, he's the general in chief now, recently promoted mayor of all general, of all Union armies. He wants Grant to just, enough of this, you've got to go and take Vicksburg. So by then, the Rebs had reinforced a little bit. So they got more guys. This is the we, where we set up that thing before. So we had some fun talking about Holly Springs before. So Also known as Holly Rich in our episode. You know what? I'm not a perfect person. <laughs> hey, remember the one episode where I couldn't do math? Well, the one? Okay. <laughs> the so, one of the millions. I'll continue then. So Grant, he's going to move from Memphis towards Oxford, Mississippi. So he's got 40,000 guys, and he's going to end up in Holly Springs eventually. Also, William T. Sherman's got 30 or so thousand guys of his own, and he's going to advance down the Mississippi River, and they want to set up that two-pronged attack is what he wants to do. So what he wants to do basically is get to a point where John C. Pemberton, we mentioned before, he was in charge of that Vicksburg. He was a college roommate of George Meade. Yep, northerner from, Point, from Pennsylvania. Right? Mary's a southern girl. So he's not – the one thing with Pemberton is he's not trusted. You can tell he's not trusted by the other 
generals in the Confederacy. He's one of a long line of Confederates who was in charge of Vicksburg. I mean, Earl Van Dorn was, was in the E B D. He was. You're down with EBD? You know, he, he was, you know, he was like there, you know. pick up at the bang barn. It probably would be a little penicillin to take care of that <laughs> right off the bat. But he wants to set up the two-headed attack. So he's going to send Sherman down at Chickasaw, and he's going to go to Holly Springs. And the, really the big thing is to try to get some of those troops away from Vicksburg to kind of go at Grant mm-hmm. to free up Sherman to attack. So do you want to take – you want to – muddy the water. You want to thin, thin the herd a little bit. He wants less men for Sherman to fight. And we mentioned at Holly Springs, U.S. Grant gets pantsed by Earl Van Dorn. He gets surprised. Earl Van Dorn's got 24,000 cavalry. And he really gets the best of him. He really surprises him. Mm-hmm. And by the time Sherman is attacking Chickasaw, which is around Christmas time of 1862 now, Grant's already rolling back to Memphis. And Sherman doesn't even know it. No, because those so he's, messages he's like, didn't get through. Like Grant sent a message saying, mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to be able to meet you because this has happened. And Sherman did hear rumors about it. But he was like, no, nah, no, nah, I got to wait till I've got official word. And then he gets to Chickasaw. And by that point, like... I mean, Stephen D. Lee did admit that, like, they threw their defenses up at Chickasaw really quickly. Sherman made it seem like, oh, yeah, they were, they'd been there for a while and dug in. And Stephen D. Lee was like, fuck that. We only had, like, two days. If Sherman had been two days earlier, he would have totally pantsed us. And he, and he would have. And the thing about Sherman is you can picture Sherman sitting there going, it's okay, guys. Any yep. minute. Grant's yep. coming. Any minute. Yep. And he's just sitting there. So he gets around December 27th. He gets bogged down in the swamps in that area. Because the thing we're going to talk about, and this is going to be a common theme for this Vicksburg campaign, is the terrain is shit. It's yep. swamps and it's all kinds of crap. So the uh, Sherman's army is going to get bogged down in that area. They're going to go up against that heavily defensive Walnut Hills region. Mm-hmm. And on the 29th, a couple of days after Christmas, Sherman, he kind of loses his patience where he, he decides to go full frontal on him, which is never a good sight. For Recklessly a exposed himself. He does. And of course, he gets hit, takes pounded, takes huge casualties. You talk of 1,800 Union casualties versus about 200 rebel casualties. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of it's because the terrain, because Stephen D. Lee and those guys had really good position. They were, yeah. they were really um, they dug in very. The- they dug in very quickly. And the other problem, too, was the maps that Sherman had of the area were like those shitty ones you get at a gas station. They were wrong, and they they didn't show the train. Sherman had no idea what he was going up against. And even some of his men, you know, said like, oh, my God, my my poor brigade. Like, we're going to get annihilated Mm -hmm. doing this. And Sherman's like, well, whether we lose 5,000 now or 5,000 later, we're going to lose them either way. You know, Sherman, after Chickasaw, he has to finally go back. And by the time he gets back, he finds out that John McClernand, 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 McClernand. You know, he's in Memphis with his 13th Corps now. And he's like, guess what, Sherman? You report to me now. And so Sherman, you know, and he goes, I'm going to start my own mission and I want you to join me. And I'm not going to tell Grant because I don't have to. Yeah. That's how he's thinking. But Sherman's like, well, I, you, there's a, well, you, Sherman, you know, I have to this report is to the, what this is, If this is what I think we're talking about, this is Sherman and him sit down and Sherman gave him the idea. To, yeah, well, I mean, but to go to the day, Sher, Sher, Sherman's 15th Corps is now going to be part of McClernand. He has no choice to do it. Mm-hmm. This happens without Grant's approval. So you mentioned Arkansas. They're going to they're gonna attack Fort Hinman in Arkansas Post on January 9th, 1863. And... The thing about it, it's not really connected to the Vicksburg campaign, but the reason why we got to talk about it, Mary, is that it has some implications. Mm-hmm. So 
The plan was, for the most part, to stop that rebel harassment of those Union su- supply lines and yeah. along the Arkansas River. That That's kind of what it was. McClernand's like, he, in his mind, he's like, well, if we push back this, we can go to Little Rock and attack that. It was never there was happen, rumors but- of, be, of ironclads being built at Little Rock. And like there was one embarrassing thing that happened with Fort Hinman to Sherman. He There was this boat called the Blue Wing that was carrying munitions for him and his troops. And it got captured and it was completely embarrassing. So, I mean, this is like... It's sort of part of the Vicksburg campaign, but it's like one of those kind of side missions that McClernand is doing without Grant's permission. But it's Sherman's idea. Like Sherman is the one that is basically saying, well, this is what I think we should do. And McClernand is just rolling with it. You know, It ends up being the, probably the only real bright spot. Uh, for the most part, for a while, because yeah. they move towards a fort and they bombard it with, you know, with artillery. Union's bringing a lot of boys here. They're bringing 30,000 guys to this. Yeah. And, and they've so got Porter, right? With his, his they've gun. Got, they've got, they've and, got Porter. So he, he so Porter's going to, is going to fire away. They're going up against about 5,000 entrenched Confederates yeah. along that Arkansas post garrison. So Hinman's going to surrender is, is what's going to eventually happen. Yeah. This was the, the sheer numbers tell the story. But it's a huge morale builder after Chickasaw. McClernand destroys the whole garrison at the mm-hmm. end. They just blow the whole thing up. They capture all 5,000 guys, which is the yeah. largest capture of Western troops until 1865. So, okay, this yeah. okay, this sounds pretty good. This sounds really, really good. Have you but, read um, the story of the surrender? How What a clusterfuck the surrender was with um, oh. Porter going into the fort and getting the surrender of one guy. And then Churchill, who was actually leading the Confederate troops at the fort... Sherman goes to him to get his surrender. And then this other guy comes up, Colonel James Deschler. He goes over to Churchill and Sherman and says, like, well, fuck this. I'm still going to fight. And then Sherman says, well, good luck trying because my men are currently disarming yours. Like there was no there was no communication. And the only reason that Porter says that he's going to do this mission, like Porter first said, like, if this is McClernand, I'm not doing it. And then when it came back that it was Sherman's idea, that's the only reason that Porter agrees for him to use all these gunboats. And they are using like nine gunboats on this just to blast the shit out of this fort. The imagery during it, they get bogged down in the terrain because it's like swampy, it's marshy, it's January in the, in this area. And, you know, it's been raining and stuff. But they get bogged down by that. Sherman actually gets a little bit delayed. But yeah, as you said it's mm-hmm. the biggest surrender until 1865 when I think it's Kirby Smith surrenders. What is it? 20,000 troops. Poor Kirby. But you know what, though? It's it's a big victory. Grant is kind of pissed, to be honest about it. Because but he kind he of lets it go. It. But he also hates McClernand, right? Yeah. He does. So he, you can see how that goes. But it is a bright spot at the time. Mm-hmm. So fast forward a little bit to Grant's plan now. So this is really the, the, the meat and potatoes of this episode. It's, it's the it's the Brant's Bayou Expedition, mm-hmm. which sounds like a really bad TV show, by the way. If you really think that about it, that sounds like know. a horrible reality show that involves alligators and. So, no, we don't don't say snakes. Snakes, you know. Oh, damn it. Grant's already over two here, and he's going to try five more attempts to yep. get around that Confederate right flank. And we're going to talk about those in detail here. It's some of them in painful detail, admittedly, but we're going to mm-hmm. talk about it. The first one, you know, Grant is still obsessed with that canal concept from DeSoto we talked about from the previous summer. Mm-hmm. He's thinking if maybe we do this again, there's less bugs. It's not as – because now it's wintertime. It's not as hot. Maybe we can pull this thing off. Lincoln is also putting a lot of pressure on Grant, as are the northern newspapers, for them to do something because he's been in this area for like, you know, mm-hmm. for how many months now doing this. So Lincoln is now putting a lot of pressure on him. 
is, but you know what? This DeSoto thing still offers a little bit of hope, a mm-hmm. little bit of plan. If they can make it happen, it could probably work. So they're going to enlist uh, Rear Admiral David Farragut again to redo this plan again. So January 1863, Grant wants to resume digging. And except this time he's going to use Sherman's men. Mm-hmm. When they get there, they call it Butler's Ditch. Yeah. That's because Butler was in charge originally under Brigadier General Thomas Williams. He, that was the guy in 1862 who was going to do it. But Grant still sees this plan as a, as a better alternative to going through past the guns, which he was, he was probably, he'd probably right in Italy. Now, to your point, Lincoln loved the plan. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the deal was, but he was following Grant up regularly to on it status. As Lincoln's pet project. So Lincoln, every five minutes, how's it going? How's it going? <laughs> That's kind of how he was. Now, originally, it was six by six. That was the problem originally, okay? So they're going to expand it six feet wide, six feet deep, which you can't fit a, you know, you can't fit a VW bugged on that nowadays, you know? But now they're going to expand it out to 60 feet wide and seven feet deep. I and they're going to call it, they're going to, they're going to call it Grant's Canal, which has got all kinds of stuff written all over that one. <laughs> but during the construction, again, the terrain is the issue. So you're, you're digging along the Mississippi River, okay? So it's going to keep flooding. And that, that's the issue they keep having. Water keeps flooding into this thing. And you can see the frustration. You can kind of see Yeah, it. it's so, also shitty engineering, though, because they just don't know the terrain well enough to be able to work with it. 19th century engineering. I mean, they tried to use two steamers, the yeah. Hercules and the Samson, to sail down and push the water out, which even I know isn't going to yeah. work. And the but Confederates would to... sit there and watch them do this. And, they then, would. and then they started yeah. to, like, they then the Confederates turned their artillery on them. And that was well, the that's problem what, with the canal. They would sit there and they'd watch these guys dig and laugh. And they'd go, boy, what do you want to do? Let's shoot some fire at them. Oh, shot. Yeah. okay. They'd boom, f- fire some shots. That was the entertainment. So finally, March 2nd, 1863, Grant has an F this moment <laughs> and says, the hell with this. He says, this exactly is a freaking waste of freaking time. Can you just say this is stupid? So he finally figures it out. So he that plan's going to fail. So he's going to think more about what plan B is, right? Mm-hmm. It's plan D, I guess, theoretically. And this is when he's going to enlist his old friend James Burbsey McPherson yep. to do what's called the Lake Providence Plan. McPherson, we've talked about him before on the podcast, but just to recap, from a place called Clyde, Ohio, which I have been to before. I've seen his grave there. There's actually a really nice monument for him in McPherson Cemetery. The cemetery is named after him. You can see the house where he grew up as well. He's first in his class in West Point in 1853. He's one of the top engineers in the Union Army. I believe he starts off in the east and he eventually heads west and he's very close with Grant. It is said their relationship is one of like a father and a son. But McPherson is one of like, when you look at how he's described, he's described as somebody who is always like smiling. He's very, very positive and he's he's well liked by everybody. And as it turns out, like when he's tragically killed at the Battle of Atlanta, it turns out both sides were quite saddened by that because he had such a good reputation because he was actually a really, really good person and a very, very talented engineer. But he is going to be the one that is behind this project on Lake Providence. And the thing with this is it's going to allow passage, but he's got to get through Baxter and Macon Bayous. There's a few rivers as well. On March 18th, McPherson tells Grant that he's able to navigate down it now, but all that Grant was sent was these quote-unquote ordinary Ohio river boats, which if it's from Ohio, come on. <laughs> yep. Made in Ohio. They can only transport 8,500 men at a time, which is not mm. at this point, that's not worth it for them at all. Ed Bears is actually going to refer to this as the Lake Providence boondoggle. 
you know, they want to connect another canal from Mississippi River to Lake, uh, Lake Providence, which is north of its city of Vicksburg, and then use this new passage to kind of connect with that Red River. In, in their mind, Grant's thinking, well, maybe I can connect with you, with the great Nathaniel Banks from Waltham, Massachusetts, and who's at Port Hudson. And to your point, they finally get it going, but Gilligan can't get down there. It's so small. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and so, it's, it's um, like the, just the dense, it's dense cypress forest. And Grant realizes when he and McPherson go down it one day in a steamboat that it's not practicable to go down it. But Grant allows the uh, the work to continue and he'll write in his memoirs, believing employment was better than idleness for the men. And we will get to that point when near yeah, in, in a little I mean, while about that. Well, it's about that, but I'll pull out my full of shit card later when we talk about yep. that. <laughs> you know, but but that the sad part about it is out of these five Bayou things we're going to talk about, this is the best one. It is. This is the one that works. So they have that moment where they go, this is, you know. Yeah, he randomly calls it off. Yet there's this one letter where he wrote to Julia telling her about not just Lake Providence, but the next one we're going to talk about, Yazoo Pass. He says to her, oh, Lake Providence is probably going to be the one to work. Like, meanwhile, the men are trying to clear these, like, cypress trees, like, you know, all this shit from that's near there. And they have to use underwater saws. Like, I... No, thank you. No, that that's unbelievable. Plus, Aquaman was a Confederate, so they couldn't use him, so that was a problem. So, <laughs> but it was funny how they overlap. Like March eighteenth, eighteen sixty three is Lake Providence. This is kind of when they they kind of get down the path. Yep. But the next plan was already in formulation in February the previous month. So yep. even Grant knew these weren't going to freaking work. So, the, so to your point, the third plan is the Yazoo Pass expedition. They want to go up the Yazoo, Mary. That's what they want to do. <laughs> What's interesting about this too is with every single plan, he seems to enlist more important guys to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. So now Grant's Rear Admiral David Porter. They're going to combine the Army and the Navy. So they're like, all right, let's get a little more yeah. serious to see how it goes. So, again, they want to bypass those rebel defenses on the on the heights of Vicksburg, and they want to use those canals around the city. So he's going to have a guy named Leonard Ross in charge of the Army, a guy named Watson Smith in charge of the Navy. Now, Smith was sick the whole time. He's, he's, like, sh- Teak he's, and, he's like Teak and South Park. He's always sick. Yep, he's right? such a shit show. <laughs> and this. He's, and, and he's going to sadly, he's going to later die in 1864 yeah. of yellow fever at the Red River campaign. So he's, he, so he just was a guy who was a sickly guy, but he was a guy in charge with the Navy who was in charge to do it. They're going to take seven gunboats and nine infantry regiments based out of the 13th Corps of McClernand again. They're going to try to pull this thing off again. So February 3rd, they are going to breach a levee, which basically means break a dike down is what they're going to do. Okay. Yep, and I'm a Mississippi River because they want, they're going to flow it. They're going to use 400 guys to dig this thing out and they're going to flood the canal is what they want to do. They flood the channel connecting the Mississippi to the Yazoo River. They can, okay, we'll just sail right do it. So the canals naturally, it screws up and it overflows too much and they got to wait till the waters recede because the boats can't go. Because it just too, it's going water's yeah. going too fast. Do you know how big the so levee could, was that they were working against? It was like twenty eight feet high, eleven 1, hundred feet long, and three hundred feet wide in its base. Good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye. You know, this will be the day that I die. <laughs> Stop singing. <laughs> but but the canal is overflowed, and so they had to wait a few days. To my point, so they finally get the boats down there safely. But they're still having all kinds of issues with those natural boundaries. Right, trees are too low. There's growth in the water. Is sea serpents, the stuff in the water, the Loch Ness monsters there, the Loch Ness monsters there. So, and the other thing too is the Rebs are finally getting wind of what they're trying to do. So now they're going to start cutting trees down and throwing them in the streams to mm-hmm. block the passages. So the boats get to about five or ten miles a day at most. That's how slow these guys can go through it. 
a rebel commander. We talked about John C. Pemberton a few minutes ago. He's got time to prepare a defense. He knows what the union's doing now because they're slow as shit and they're loud and everybody knows what they're yeah. doing. So he is going to build a temporary fort, which he calls Fort Pemberton because that's what you do. You name something after yourself because there'll be a Fort Darren someday, Mary, when I do something big in this world. I promise you that. And this is in Greenwood, Mississippi. They basically take cotton bales and they put guns yeah. on them and they just, they, they just do it to defend. Now they put William Loring in charge of this who hasn't disappeared yet. So they still know where he is. We'll He's talk about him next time. He's an interesting dude with we'll his talk about uh, what, old we'll blizzards. Talk about Let's talk about the magician, the disappearing artist that is William Loring. The next time we talk about He Pittsburgh. disappears into a blizzard. He does. He certainly Old does. Not the, not, not the blizzards that you, you know. Anyway, so the, un, so the Union is going to slowly approach and finally get to this temporary fort called Fort, fort Pemberton on March 11th. Now, this is five weeks after they knocked the levee down. Five weeks. This is that's how long it takes to get there. Well, so, blame Watson Smith for that. They can only travel during the day. They have to take a break for lunch, and apparently, it takes them forever to get going in the morning, which which sounds an awful lot like me. Elementary Watson, you know. <laughs> but the Rebs from this from this location, they can easily fire on the Union guns, and they're going slow, so they're, they're, they get pushed back. The Union gets pushed back pretty easily by these this Rebel artillery. The river is too narrow, and it's a bottleneck, so it's not like you got a five lane highway here. You've got enough for like one boat at a time. So if you're getting fired upon, how the hell are you you have to, you're stuck. There's nothing you can do. The whole point of the plan was to get there without being seen, and mm. they got seen and they got stuck. It's like. It's like getting stuck in traffic on the Mass Pike on a Friday here in Boston, Mary. You're not going anywhere. So you have to get the hell out. So March 16th, Watson Smith's health continues to fail. So he finally, he finally quits and he gives over command to a guy named James Foster. The Union's going to try one more attack and it's going to fail again because they just don't have the ability to move. They're just, they're just stuck. So, so Foster and Ross are going to give up. They're going to say that this is ridiculous. So they're going to fall back to their starting point. And they're going to get back early, early in mid-April to where they started. There's going to be a guy named Brigadier General Isaac Quinby who's going to be like, he's going to be like Darius Cooch in Chancellorsville saying, let's try one more time. And he does. <laughs> they, they, they sort of do. He arrives late, but he fails to. By April 14th, they're back to where they started. Yep. So and again, that plan fails. So they blame Smith for, for the failure. Um, there's one engineer on there, Wilson, and he actually says, we have thrown away a magnificent chance to in, in, injure the enemy and all because of the culpable and inex inexcusable slowness of the naval commander in the first place of timidity and cautiousness in the second. So they are saying that, you know, Watson Smith is the reason that this has failed. Um, and Porter also blames Smith, too, just for how slow and cautious he was being as well. It was ridiculous, like how he would only move during the day. They had to take a break for lunch. Um, all the stuff that I mentioned before about him. But that's why this part ultimately fails was just they uh, were not quick enough. Which happens no. a lot well, in the Civil War. It does, but again, it's it's. Look, we, we talked before about the blame game with all these yeah. battles and these expeditions. Someone's got to be at fault, and there was still that Army Navy friction that that that's going to get smoothed out here in a little bit. But yeah. but there is still that. So that's all for three now, or really all for five. Mm -hmm. So, but you know what? To, to Grant's credit, he's going to keep on trying. Yep. Right? He's going to fail seven times and. And, you know, he probably said that all he learned was seven ways not to take Vicksburg. That's pretty much what he <laughs> learned with this whole campaign. But the next one was called Steel's Bayou. This is the one that takes place in mid-March around St. Patrick's Day. So this is going to be another joint Army-Navy deal with Grant and David Porter. This time they're going to move Union troops to the Yazoo River upstream from Vicksburg's defense again. This is coming off that really risky 
thing we just talked about. So yeah. they almost lost boats. They almost they almost lost a whole bunch. It was a very risky thing that they were doing here again. But he's going to try. They're going to try to get one more attempt to get around Pemberton's right flank. They're obsessed with trying to get to his right. And so this time Porter is going to personally be in charge of this one for the Navy. Army is going to be under the personal control of William Sherman. So again, with every one of these, they're like stepping up in class. Like, okay, you can't do it. We got to get a better yeah. guy to do this. This is where the big show for, for Grant to try to make this happen. So Grant's going to basically tell them, you want to go to proceed to a place called Steele's Bayou and take it to a place called Deer Creek that's going to get you into the Yazoo River to see if it's possible even to get that army through there to the east bank of the Yazoo to a place where you can launch an attack. So that they just want to see if they get the military. That's that's the whole goal with this, to see if they can find a, a launching platform. But again, you're dealing with marshes and creeks and swamps, and yeah. that's the biggest issue. We mentioned before the Yazoo Pass expedition, they blew up that levee, and it flooded all the creeks. So they're still dealing with that. So the canals are still flooded from that past one, but Porter thought the small boats could pass through it, that the army transports could make it. So they're thinking, you know what, we think we can maybe pull this one off. But again, they stopped the old, you know, Vicksburg mobile station, got a <laughs> shitty map, and they got bad intel from the locals about the maps in the area. So, you know, you talked before about how it was Stonewall Jackson. Chances were, got that really good map. They got yeah. the bad one here. This is the one you got on, this is the one you got on eBay for two bucks. It's wrong, <laughs> you know? when you buy at the inconvenience store. <laughs> and so the, the real problems came once they got out of that Steele's Bayou, once they got into Deer Creek. And that's where the really issues came because you had a lot of low overhanging trees. You had a lot of submerged trees and it really, really slowed the boats. You can, you can see how this is going. Yeah. These boats come in and they can't friggin' move. Just picture, you know, maybe a little stream, maybe the size of kind of like a small little country road, right? Yeah. And you're trying to get all these boats through. And then there's like animals falling on your boats too, like possums and snakes too, because they had all got displaced when the, uh, when everything yeah. flooded. So they went to the trees. And as these boats are going through the, like, you know, their, their, their smokestacks are hitting the trees. There's animals falling all over the decks and stuff like that. Like it's just, it's such a mess. Can you picture in all seriousness? How shitty this must have been, the experience. I can't people. even imagine like this, you know, and like O'Connell mentions that by this point, Sherman's men are so tough from the campaigning they've been on, but this was just, this is going to test them. It's like going on a real shitty whale watch with your parents and you can't get off the damn boat. That's what this would be like, you know, except they're shooting at you, the whales. <laughs> so they're going to start with, so March 14th, 1863, they're going to start with five boats. Now these are the same boats we've talked about before, Henry and Donaldson. Mm -hmm. This is talking about the Louisville, the Cincinnati, the Carondelet, the Mound City, and the Pittsburgh, which is always going to be Bound to fail, by the way. That's great, but that's story. <laughs> and they're going to take two Shout army out to one of our transports. No, um, but Sherman's going to is going to be in charge of this expedition. He's going to be part of this anyway. So by the end of that second day, they're already running into these issues with the trees. They're already running into it. The smokestacks and the boats can't make it under the trees, so they're getting knocked off and screwed up, and the boats are getting damaged. But Porter says, "Screw it, keep going, YOLO." going to roll through it so the boats are being damaged but he's just going to keep moving because i guess that's what they're going to do sherman's going to return to the point the starting point again to get to the army prepared in case they can make it so he's going to go back again the revs sniff it right out because that's what they do and they've also got some experience with these schemes they know they're trying to go to the right and there's only so many streams they can do mm -hmm. 
Once they get out of that steel's bayou, Pemberton's going to know where they're coming. Because they just know they're coming. So they're going to have Carter Stevenson, which we talked about often on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And he's going to send uh, a brigade under John, General Winfield Featherston, who was part of Dabney Morey's division, also Stephen D. Lee again. And they're going to be sent to Deer Creek and just going to sit and wait for him. Just yeah. sit and wait. They're going to yeah. be coming eventually. You know. And just keep in um, mind, too, that Carter L. Stevenson was pulled from Braxy's up in Stones mm-hmm. River. And that's probably why, one of the reasons they lost Stones River. Well, the irony about this is they took this whole division, or this whole brigade, rather, from this Fort Pemberton. If the Union only knew they did that, Mm -hmm. they could have have gone right through Pemberton. That's how how it was. So the rebel troops are going to arrive at Deer Creek. Lee's going to be there. He's going to have six guns and 50 cavalry guys under Lieutenant Colonel Samuel Ferguson. So there's a lot of guys waiting for them. The Rebs immediately start cutting down the trees again. Same deal. They're dumping everything in the water, and they're going to clog them up at Deer Creek. Yeah. To credit for the Union, they're able to kind of push through these guys initially. What they're going to do is they're going to disembark, and they're going to to find this mound, this old Indian mound thing, which kind of has a high ground. And they're going to disembark, and they're going to be able to fire upon these Rebs, and they're going to push them back. And then eventually they're going to clear those trees. That's going to kind of free up a little bit what's going to happen. But as it goes on the next day, Ferguson's going to kind of renew that attack again. And he's going to keep clogging up the, the water with the tree. Mm-hmm. And nobody keeps cutting these trees down. They're bastard. It takes me a month to cut a tree down. These guys do every five minutes. They're cutting a tree down. They're going to do something different this time. They're going to take the trees and they're going to put them behind the boats. Yeah. Because this way they can't retreat. So yep. at least they can, uh, Ferguson's thinking, well, maybe if we can get them to a point where we can attack and they can't retreat, they're, they're sitting ducks. And that's what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. The one thing to mention is they are using slave labor for this, too. They are. And ironically, it's a slave who's going to drop dime on Ferguson to, yep. to the, the Union. So a slave the, the, a slave is going to tip off Porter and say, hey, they're putting trees behind you now. Not for nothing. You might want to do something about it. By then, the water levels were dropping. So here, what's interesting about this was the water is receding from that levee, right? But it was flowing at different, different levels. The water was hitting this creek at different times so at this specific moment the water was low and they were literally sitting ducks at this point eventually the water is going to continue along so they're stuck and he's going to message sherman he's going to say listen i'm stuck my friggin' triple a card has expired i can't get out of here i need someone to come get me so you can you can imagine exactly they're all the picture all these soldiers sitting on boats they can't move and they know they're literally just just asking for oh, no thank you so sherman's about 20 miles away back in black bayou he's going to cross over land to come down and get them now this is where you get lucky so i mentioned before how the water was receding yep well the water comes back and it lifts the boats up again so now they're not stuck at around the same time sherman arrives and right when sherman arrives is almost at the exact moment when ferguson is going to begin his attack again yeah so right at that point the Confederates see Sherman's infantry and go, screw this, we're out of here. So they end up, end up forcing the Rebs to retreat to the delight, particularly sailors, so like the people in the love mm-hmm. boat, like pulling out of the poor, how happy they were. They were all excited to see to see the Rebs take off and Sherman there. So Porter and Sherman, again, they have a conversation and they get to that same point that the other guys all did and said, fuck this, this stupid, 
let's get the hell out of here. So they end up, um, they end up falling back on the 27th of March. And then Grant's realizing that, you know something, maybe this right flank thing isn't really the thing we should be doing. Yeah. Maybe we should do something else. And so I think he realized at this point that trying to go around Pemberton's right using these canals was a complete pipe dream. Who knows? Maybe he was drinking. Yep. Who knows? Or maybe he was just trying to keep the troops occupied for the winter. Well, that's the thing. What's interesting? We'll, we'll talk about. Yeah. So he says, "I never intend." I'm paraphrasing here. He's saying that he never really intended for any of his plans to work. He just wanted the soldiers to be doing something, which yeah. is complete bullshit. Because big time, his notes at the time say a different story. He was, you know, Lincoln was all over this canal thing. Yeah. He had to deal with that. And again, he was fighting at a time when it wasn't as hot. Yeah. He thought maybe this was their best opportunity. If he was able to get on the right, he had a perfect spot. Again, it's a lot of revisionist history from him. I, I think that's most people realize that's that's a bunch of crap. It's what he does. So yeah. he's oh, he is. makes one final attempt, though, with Duckport. He does. And so this is the fifth and final try. Uh, this is on April 6th. He's going to try one last time to dig that canal. And you can just picture the fail written all over this one. Yeah. You just exactly. He abandons the, this one pretty quickly, you know. Pretty um, quick. And, and it's because of the season that the change, the, the thing that I don't think they fully understood was the Mississippi River. And like the Mississippi River, there was one lecture that I listened to um, that was uh, done at the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library Museum. It's on it's on YouTube. But the, the gentleman giving the lecture talks about just how the Mississippi River has changed its course many, many times, as well as like there's seasonal flooding and then that like the waters will recede. Well, that's what happens here at Duckport. You know, this is April 6th that around April 6th that this is happening and Duckport was completed, but the water levels declined so much that only light boats could be used. And that's not conducive to transporting the number of troops that they needed to transport. So the seasons are now, um, the change in seasons is now playing against them. Just picture a big boat and they're going to load all these guys into it. And it's just too heavy. It just can't do yeah, it. So it's a waste of time. And you can only use light boats, which is what they had initially back at the, remember Grant, um, with Lake Providence is sent these just Ohio light boats, basically that can only transport 8,500 troops at a time. That that's not, that's not conducive to, no. to this plan. And by this point, like it's April and you know, not just, it's not just the administration that is on Grant's ass. It is also the media as well. The media are not very kind to Grant at this time. So not only has he had these seven failures, but he's got the media on him as well to the point where they are writing um, members of Lincoln's cabinet. And there is um, one guy from um, his name is Murat Halstead from a newspaper in Cincinnati, and he actually writes Simon P. Chase, and he says, Our noble army of the Mississippi is being wasted by the foolish, drunken, stupid Grant. He's a poor, drunken imbecile. He is a poor... He is a poor stick sober and he is most of the time more than half drunk and much of the time idiotically drunk. About two weeks ago, he was so miserably drunk for 24 hours that his staff kept him um, shut up in a stateroom on the steamer where he makes his headquarters because he is hopelessly foolish. So this letter is written in around March of 1863, and it's not long sounds, after. Sounds like a 2020 job review. It, it does, actually, yeah. The DQ, it does. DQ. It does. And it's, you know, there are rumors of Grant being drunk during this campaign, and there's rumors throughout it from, from start to finish. Um, but this is one of the things that 
next thing you know, Charles Dana is showing up in the Vicksburg campaign. And we do know that Grant and him become actually very, very good friends. But he is sent there by the administration just because of all this stuff that is going on. Well, he's sent to babysit is what he is. Yeah, yeah. And because they want to find out what the scoop and, you know, we're not going to – I don't want – we're not getting into too much of the whole no, drinking thing, no, we're not. but but I think but I think um, but I think for the most part he was sent to see what this guy's doing. Yeah. And the ironic thing, he ends up being one of his closest friends he going does. forward, and he ends up protecting him on a lot of these stories. Yep. Ironically, so so we'll leave it at that. But but I think I think it's it's an interesting thing that he has a lot of idle time on his hands. And so maybe in his mind, he did it to keep the troops tr- busy. Maybe he was doing it to keep himself busy. Yep. Right. That's, that's true. But maybe, we maybe know from part his, of it too. but you know, we know from his correspondence at the time though, that he was actually legit thinking these plans were going to work. You know, he writes Julia and says Lake Providence is probably going to be the one that works. So there is, as you said, I think a little bit of revisionist history going on here by Grant, which we've seen throughout different episodes in this podcast that um, Grant, we love Grant. Don't get us wrong. We love Grant, but he does some revisionist history as, you know, all all these guys do in their memoirs to make themselves look a little bit better, I think. And and Grant did have that political agenda, especially closer to the end of the war. And to give Grant credit, he did realize, you know, he did realize when 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 it was, the jig was up. So mm-hmm. he did realize that this right flank concept was simply not going to work anymore. So he had to formulate a plan to get on the rebels left flank. And he knows what that means. It means getting past those guns mm-hmm. on the bluffs in Vicksburg, uh, at Vicksburg. And, and he knew that was the worst case scenario because yeah. he risked everything when he did that. David Porter is imploring him, screw this. Let's go back to Memphis. This is a waste of freaking time. But Grant, as much as we kind of have fun with him, he's going to stick with it. But he also he also knew the only way – he knew that going back to Memphis was a guaranteed failure, guaranteed but fired, and that was the end. He so couldn't, he he couldn't do it because his job was at risk at this point. Like his job, he knew from the newspapers it was at risk. He knew from the pressure he was getting from Lincoln. But too, one thing that, you know, about Grant, and I do admire this about him, is he never looked back. You know, going back – like as you said, going back to Memphis was going to be seen as a failure. You know, if you've, you've already been there. Why are you going to go back? You you just have to keep pushing forward with this. And we'll and see that did. On, his, on his later campaign, especially Overland campaign, yep. where he wasn't, he was go, go, go. And that's what he does here. So he's, he knows he has to do it. So he has to, the goal again is to find a suitable place where he can cross the river, lands his army to attack Vicksburg, either from the south or from wherever. He has to do it. He knows he's got to work with the Navy to do it. So he decides to go with Porter for a plan and they finally decide what they're going to do. So March 29th, 18. 1863. He's going to send troops from McClernand's 13th Corps, Sherman's 15th, McPherson's 17th. He wants them to go on the west side of the Mississippi, the Louisiana side of the river, and they're going to build roads through those swamps, and they're going to march south along the western land of the Mississippi River, and that's what they're going to do. And while this is going on, he's going to have the Navy sail past the gun. So April 16th, April 17th, right in that ballpark, they're going to arrive in hard times, Louisiana, yeah. or all places. I love that name. And I actually love, yeah. this is one of my favorite things of the Civil War is imagining these boats going past Vicksburg. It, it's such a, yeah. it's such an interesting story. Yeah. So picture a moonless night, because that's what it was. Okay. David Porter is going to send his seven gunboats and his three empty transport boats. 
and they're going to begin to track south on the Mississippi River. And you can imagine the soldiers and the people on these boats just knowing, like, oh, shit, this is bad. Mm-hmm. So they're going to sail down because remember before when we talked about this heading to Chickasaw, it didn't take long until they got spotted that time. So they, they're going to get spotted again pretty quickly by the Rebs now. And it's going to lead to a gigantic artillery thing. The boats are going to kind of imagine they're going to stay close to the eastern side of the river because they know the rebel guns can't depress low enough to fire hit them. So they're going to hug the boat, the, the shore, which is going to put them close to, to being beached on there. The rebel guns can't hit them. So they're literally so close to the shore, they can hear the artillery officers yelling out orders to the gunmen. Yeah. That's how close they are. The boats, they do make it past the end. An amazing thing about this is in that first pass, they only lose two guys. Yeah. They get th- killed, 13 injured, and only lose one boat to Henry Clay, which is amazing. It, yeah, it's it's really remarkable. And during this, when it when it starts, the, the people of Vicksburg are having, they're having a ball to celebrate the apparent withdrawal of the Yankees. So you can just imagine Pemberton's shock when it's like, oh, apparently they're not gone. Yeah. You know, well, um, remember when they caught Sama Chickasaw, they were having a Christmas party. This so was not like, like these people like to party. They I do. Don't know that. I don't know that. It's, there's a really funny story from when you know, Porter finally made it. Sherman was waiting for him in a rowboat. And this is one of those things that like, I'm thinking back to when we had Eric on here and we were talking about the Iron Brigade story and the conversation that Hooker and McClellan had. Uh And this is what Sherman apparently says to Porter. Are you all right, old fellow? You are more at home here than you were in the ditches grounding on the willow trees. There are a lot of my boys on the point ready to help you if you want anything. Good night. I must go and find out how the other fellows fare. Um, that is not how Sherman spoke. I'm sorry. It was probably more no. like, hey, Bucker, how are you? <laughs> I, I, I can imagine a little bit. So, <laughs> Aren't you glad so, you're not going through those fucking willow trees again? Yeah. Wasn't that a shit show? Well, what I mean, four and Porter doubles down on it. a week later. He's going to send six more boats, and yeah. so and so that's going to continue along. And the whole again, the whole point is, but Grant's not out of the woods yet because he needs to. He still has to get there. Yeah, right? he still has to land. So he's he's going to basically, and this is the thing too, is he's afraid Grant is that Pemberton's going to send the whole army down to get him, and so he mm-hmm. has to spread them out. It goes back to again that Holly Springs thing. So Grant is going to do two diversionary tactics. He's going to send Francis Blair's division, mm-hmm. who we, we, we've you know lovingly say some guy named Francis Blair. He's of Sherman's guys. He sent eight gunboats up to Snyder's Bluffs, which is north of the city. This is on April 29th, and they're going to fight Lewis Haybear's brigade, and the feds are going to get pushed back. Um, they're going to march to Drum Gould's Bluff, but they're going to disembark, but they're going to get pushed back. The, the numbers are going to push them back, but that's just a diversionary tactic. It's going to keep the troops in Pemberton's eyes away from Grant, south of the city now. Now, the, the big one they're going to do is the Benjamin Grierson raid, which, which we're going to talk a little bit about yeah. in more detail. And they're going to use him to make that raid inland. To, they're just going to do cavalry things. They're going to cut the telegraph lines. They're going to burn factories. They're going to try to free slaves. They're going to do everything they do, but they want to keep the rebels guessing. So Ben Grierson's interesting dude, by the way. He's a former music teacher from Pittsburgh, ironically of all things, before joining the regular army as a cavalry officer. Mm-hmm. He's not a volunteer. He's part of the regular army. The interesting thing about Grierson as a cavalry guy, guess who he's afraid of? Horses. He's afraid of, he's afraid of horses. Oh my God, he's like Pat Claiborne. So, so he's, as a kid, he gets kicked by a horse. He almost dies. 
from that point on, he's afraid of horses and he hates them, hates horses. So he's a cavalry guy who hates horses, which I always got a kick out of that. So he naturally, he joins the 6th Cavalry. Um, he becomes a colonel in August of 1862. Eventually, a brigadier general gets a star in November of 1862. And he's part of that pursuit of Earl Van Dorn after, after Holly Springs. He's yeah. part of that whole thing. But Grierson's raid is going to be a big part of this entire campaign. Mm-hmm. Picture 1,700 horsemen, some of them wearing rebel uniforms because they have they got some rebel uniforms. Yeah. And they're going to go and they're just going to wreak havoc. Now, 600 that's miles job. is what they cover, yeah. which is crazy. So Grant's like, just take your guys and go fuck shit up. Just do it, right? And because you know what? There's no one there to stop them. Nathan Bedford Forrest is in Bama chasing Abel straight around in Bama. So he's not even there. So he's got free run. He's like you in high school and your parents are gone with a liquor cabin. You go to the hell you want. No one's there to stop you. So that's what that's what he's going to do. How do you think so, I inve- invented the bourbon blizzard? Exactly. That's why you can promote it so quickly. <laughs> you know who you know who the Rebs have to stop him? Wart Adams and Robert Richardson. Have you heard of them? Actually, I I haven't. Most people haven't. No. Because you know why? Because he's Wart Adams and Robert Richardson. That's yeah. who's in charge of stuff chasing them down. And of course they can't stop them down. Um Pemberton's gonna is gonna need basically a is gonna enlist a full division because of Grierson to protect that Vicksburg Jackson Railroad from him because that's the vital supply line between Jackson and Vicksburg. Mm-hmm. So what happens? You take a full division from Vicksburg to on to put on yeah. the railroad. It's taking more troops away from chasing Grant. And that's exactly what he wants to do. So Grierson eventually He's having his fun, but finally enough was enough. He decides to go to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He probably wants to go to an LSU game probably. Yeah, but sure. it, it, it's union controlled at the time, so he, that's where he's going to go. But what's but what's interesting what's, – you know what's interesting about him? Sidetrack a little bit about Grierson, by the way. After the war, he arranged – he organized the 10th Cavalry. You know who these guys are? This, these are the Buffalo Soldiers. Mm-hmm. You heard of them? Yep, I have. That's who he – so here – this is a black and white Cavalry. Yeah. Now, he's going to be the colonel, and a lot of his fellow cavalry guys hate him for this, including, guess who? His boss, Phil Sheridan. Yeah. I think Phil right? Sheridan hates everybody who's not Phil Sheridan or General Grant. I'm sorry. Yeah, I said no, it. But it's just, it's just, it's just interesting how, how his life is. He's an interesting guy, uh, Ben Grierson. He's going to live until around 1910, 1911. He's going to die in his mid-80s or so. So he's going to live a good full life is what he's going to do. But what now – what he has now, Grant, I mean, is he's got rebel troops spread everywhere. It is exactly what he wants. He's got Sherman doing his thing in the north, mm-hmm. which is kind of a, a feint that doesn't do much. But Grierson's raid is going to spread his guys out. So now he has an opportunity to cross that river. So he's going to try to cross at a place called Grand Gulf, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately for Grant, it's like the most heavily defended area besides Vicksburg. Yeah. Um, so for five hours – Union boats are going to try to pound the defenses of Grand Gulf, and it's just not going to work. David Porter called Grand Gulf the strongest place on the Mississippi. That's kind of saying something, yeah, right? Yeah, like it was like for five hours, as you said, they just get absolutely pounded, and they they can't do it. And Grant has to kind of regroup and think, okay, well, well, where where do we go? Where where do we take this next? And you picture Grant. You spent months in the swamps with mosquitoes and snakes and shit. You finally get past the guns and now you run to Grant Gulf. You're like, are you shitting me? Yep. So he's, he goes back to the drawing board 
and he decides what he's going to do. So he's going to send a reconnaissance party out. He goes, just find me somewhere I can land where I'm not going to get my ass handed to me. So one day a reconnaissance party returns with an escaped slave. And this guy's like, hey, um, I know the way if you want. Um, so we, they bring him to Grant and he's going to tell Grant about a place called Bruinsburg, um, which is south of Grand Gulf. And this is a place the army can land completely unopposed. And that's what's going to happen. So he's going to find that beachhead that he's going to be able to land. Now, this is going to be the largest amphibious landing in U.S. military history. And that distinction is going to continue all the way until D-Day. Yep. Now, that's a big deal. It is. He's able to, he's able to do this. Now, um, not because it's D-Day, but from 1863 until 1944, this is the largest mm-hmm. U.S. military amphibious landing in military history. That's how significant this thing was. Yeah. It, it's a it's a really amazing thing that that Grant does here, and I know we've you know it, I mean there are some criticisms of him in this campaign obviously, but he comes out of this whole Vicksburg thing with it being absolutely brilliant, and I think this is where his brilliance begins. With this, this is where he begins to realize, okay, now we can make this work. You know, is here at Bruinsburg with this amphibious landing, and you know from there things just they do start going i mean he has a little a few more bumps along the way but um it it's you know it's not as bad as what it was for that winter of 1863 with the the filled bayou operations and all that um it it is absolutely brilliant well i mean by april 30th 17,000 soldiers are now on the mississippi side of that river 17,000 okay now these troops are rested and there are more troops that are crossing. So Grant's going to plan the rest of that campaign after successfully achieving that, you know, uh, his goal of placing troops in an area where he can attack Vicksburg. Now we're going to talk more about the, mm-hmm. the later on about this because we're going to stop here in a bit. Yep. But, um, I will tell you right now that in my opinion, in my opinion means nothing, that this is going to be the most impressive military campaign in all of U.S. history. Yeah. This Vicksburg campaign. Yep. Now we've talked before about the failures he did. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important to say that he kept trying and he found a way. And Vicksburg, like we said at the beginning of this podcast, for the Union Army is a must-have. Because once Absolutely. Vicksburg does – I don't want to spoil the ending for you, Mary, in case you haven't looked ahead in your notes. But Vicksburg is going to eventually fall to the Union and it's going to be a game changer in every way, shape, or form yep. for that Western theater. So as we get ready to leave these boys – the next couple of weeks until we pick us up in July when we talk about it. The Union Army is now past Vicksburg. Their goal is to get to a safe place on the the flank. Now it's going to be the left flank, not the right flank, but they found a place to launch. Now Grant's going to have time now to think of a way to formulate a plan to take Vicksburg. And again, I don't want to spoil the surprise, but his plan is going to be brilliant the way he does it because not a lot of people would have did what he, what he would have done what he actually did. And when we talk about the third piece part of this threesome, Mary, that we've been working Ooh. on, uh, <laughs> we're going to talk more about some things with Champion Hill and Big Black yeah. and Jackson. We're going to talk a lot about that. Um, you know, uh, you know, where in the world is William Loring? We're going to talk about that. <laughs> but, but he's at the DQ about, making blizzards. <laughs> that's probably exactly what it was. We're going to talk about that. So I think it's a good place to drop off for now. But I think, I think the the moral of the story is, you know. 
I don't know what to say, try and try again. Yeah. But I think Grant knew he had to pull this off for his own personal career. But I think yeah. in the bigger picture, he knew he had to pull this off for the army because he had to get there. In his final plan of going on the misses on the Louisiana side of of building those 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 roads and getting down there yep. with Sherman and McLaren and all them, and then meeting up and then getting to Bruinsburg is a huge part of American history. I think most people think of Vicksburg as the siege, the yep. people starving, the yep. caves. They think of that stuff, but they don't think you know. Sometimes you got to get there, and I think that's yep. the important part. And if he doesn't get there, none of that stuff matters. And who knows how history is today? Well, I think the journey is just as important as the destination with this. You know, the destination is is getting Vicksburg. But when you look at the journey that Grant and Sherman have to make to get there, it is a series of they, they do make mistakes along the way. But I think they, they learn from from those mistakes. And, yes, there is some revisionist history from Grant, which, which we did talk about a little while ago. But still, he does learn from it, and it is a brilliant campaign. But yeah, when you think of Vicksburg, you do think of siege. And it is a brilliant campaign to study from start to finish, even when it's, you know, Porter doing his thing in, in Porter and Farragut doing their thing in 62. Um, but it's it's really important, I think, to look at to see the evolution of General Grant as, as an army commander as well. And Sherman, too, you know, that they have these they're doing these bayou operations and they're not working. You know, why are they doing them? Grant says it's because he doesn't want the troops to be idle. Um, but I think it's, you know, yeah, definitely start study it from start to finish. And as we said in the, the Chickasaw episode, the two books we would recommend are Winston Groom's Vic, Vicksburg, um, as well as Donald L. Miller's Vicksburg. They're both very, very good books on the subject. And Winston Groom tragically died recently. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that that's a big loss for the field, but but they're very good books. Uh, Groom's book is painfully, painfully detailed. But oh, so it's really, so really good. so so is Miller's. Miller's is is so detailed, um, and he's very the one, the one thing about him is he is quite you know he does address Grant drinking, but he never caught like he never is like oh Grant was an alcoholic. He just was like well he got drunk a few times in this campaign, which why wouldn't you? Um, <laughs> What else are you going to do in Mississippi? Know, no, if, if it's like this, but I think, yeah, it is absolutely brilliant what he does here in the end, but there's a lot more to it than just the end goal of getting Vicksburg. Yep. There's more story to tell. So two parts down, one part to go. Yep. So what's what's next for us? So next for us, we will be doing our Facebook Live. Um, so if you're listening to this on Saturday morning, our Facebook Live will be at 10 a.m. and we hope you can join us. It's always a great time. <laughs> Next Wednesday, the 16th, we will be doing our monthly roundtable, um, and we have our book club coming up at the end of this month. We are reading Through the Heart of Dixie by Dr. Anne Sarah Rubin. And finally, the other thing we want to announce is if you look at our profiles now on Twitter, on Instagram, um, as well as on Facebook, we have a petition on there for Colonel Charles Tilden of the 16th Maine to... Um, Get the Medal of Honor. Darren's pointing out his flag. Um, it's just something that we 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 understand that the process is quite can be quite difficult and arduous. But you well, know, let me tell you what we've done. So try. we've decided we're gonna, we're gonna there's fifteen hundred and twenty two medals of honor that we're giving out in the American Civil War, and Charles Tilden of the 16th Maine is one who fought at Gettysburg, who we feel very emotionally about that he deserves one. And he does not get one. And he, what he did for anybody who knows, he, we're not going to go through this whole story now, but he, what he does is very, very deserving. So we decided to try this. We did a little petition campaign. 
I've also emailed the two senators from Maine, the, uh, the representative who covers the Castine, Maine area, the governor of Maine, uh, a local newspaper. And you know what? We're going to see what we can do. And you know what? Even if it doesn't happen, it's going to create awareness to what he did. Yeah. So there's no downside with this whatsoever. Um, is it going to happen? Who knows? Maybe. Will it take a while? Who knows, too? But it's going to be something we're going to do. If anything, we're going to give a guy his due who really historically has been slighted. So that's yep. really what we want to do. And he absolutely deserves it. And for those of you who are listening who have signed our petition, thank you so much for your support. We really, really appreciate it. Um, you know, please continue to share our petition. petition. Um, we're going to keep sharing it, too, until we – I think we are over – we, we are at 100 signatures now on it, which is awesome. Yes. And this which is one awesome. more thing we're- – we're going to announce on Saturday. I'm not going to spoil the surprise now, <laughs> but we, we have we have some other fun stuff we're going to announce on Saturday. Yeah, um, that's going to that's going to have some fun. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. So there's good stuff coming from the old Civil War Breakfast Club, Mary. So again, good discussion tonight. It's always fun talking about the boys and U.S. Yep. Grant and Sherman and Pemberton and all the rest of them. So we will talk more. We'll, we'll leave them where they are. We'll put them in suspended animation until or until early summer, and we will talk about some different things down the road. So we have some good things coming down the pike. Um, and I think this is a fabulous place to drop off mm-hmm. and we could talk more about this down the road. So any final words from you, Fincheru? Thank you to all our listeners for your support. These last 42 episodes. Um, wow. So that means we're like 10 away from a year doing this 52 <sighs> weeks. The math is down. Wow. Math um, is and also thank you to you for being, um, the awesome co-host that you are with this and well, putting, I, putting up with my Tuesday moods. <sighs> Struggle is real. But in any case, anyway, thank you again. I uh, appreciate uh, TR Historicals sponsors our yes. lives. Yep. And thank you again to Joe LaRoe and his LaRoe Designs for these mugs. We appreciate it. We will definitely yep. use these As well these as to again. be Yorn from Abraham Lincoln Bookshop in Chicago for um, his support too with the books that he's that we are going to be able to give away um, on some upcoming events that we'll have going on. As well. Good. So a lot of fun stuff coming down the pike. So again, we will we will talk to everyone soon. And thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. And we will look forward to finishing this one down the road on Vicksburg as we go into some different things, as we start to get into the Gettysburg campaign and some other things that we're going to talk about all these next couple of weeks. Yep, so Mary, get, get your vitamin E, get your vitamin B12, get your sleep, get ready. We've got a lot of exciting things coming down the old pike. We do. Yep. And anyway, so until next time, everybody take care and see you later. You saw it, everybody. See you later, guys. Bye. 